Today's uh, message title is, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Isn't that an appropriate title for a message on neighbors? So I hope you all will be my neighbor. Maybe as we see what God's Word has to say about this, we might be a little challenged to say, hmm, I don't know if I can do that or not, but with the Holy Spirit's help, uh, we certainly can. So I have a question. Don't raise your hand. I'm just going to do kind of an internal, internal heart poll here. On a scale maybe of 1 to 10, how strong do you think your relationships are with your neighbors? And you might be asking, well, Pastor James, like, what do you mean? Like my next door neighbor where I live? And I'd say, that's a good start. That's a good, you know, concept of who your neighbor is. But before we rate like our, how we're doing on this, and before we um, evaluate that, maybe we should see what the benchmark of success is. Do you think that'd be a good idea? Isn't it good to know uh, the benchmark for how we're doing well? And we should find out what God's Word has to say about who our neighbor really is. It might surprise some of you. So today we're going to talk about how to relate to our neighbors based on what God's Word has to say about it. Can we agree that's a good place to start? All right. So if you're like me at all, you've probably been asked to help somebody move. Maybe it's a close friend or a family member. And I think there's something about that fact that we love those people and we care for them that blinds us to the fact that we're about to get involved in something that isn't the most pleasant experience. How many of you realize that? They say your true friends will help you move, right? So you agree to this. We've done this. We've agreed to this. And we say, how long can this take? You know, maybe an hour or two tops, pack a few boxes, throw a couch on the moving van, grab a slice of pizza, and we're out of there. That is not what takes place. You show up to the house, you realize, wait, they haven't packed anything. <laughs> like, there is stuff everywhere. It's, it's a, complete, a complete mess. And by the end of the day, eight hours later, you're pulling out of the driveway and they're like, hey, okay, thanks so much. You know, should be like maybe one or two more days and we'll, and we'll be good. And all of a sudden... I look at Christine and go, oh, remember that thing we had tomorrow? Wasn't that tomorrow? There was, there was a thing we had, right? That was, that was on the calendar. So it's been great helping you, but, you know, God bless you and find someone else. That's kind of the heart, you know, right? And, and over time, we learn that there's people in our lives that are going to demand more of us than we're willing to give. So we start learning to compartmentalize maybe who we're available for, and who we're con conveniently not available for. If we're honest, it's way too easy for us to start measuring out those little spots of time in our lives to do just enough good so that we feel good about ourselves. And in today's culture, there's this prevailing doctrine of self-care that while well-intended can lead to a very unbiblical version of life stewardship. There's this mindset that says, I'll do me, I'll take care of me, I have to take care of me and mine first, and then whatever's left over, I'll give to you. And this can take us down a road where we lead a life completely devoid of the concept of sacrificial love. And it's sacrificial love that is at the heart of what Jesus taught us when it comes to relating to our neighbor. So I want to look in Scripture today. We're going to look at a man who thought he was excelling in his faith. He may have given himself a 10 out of 10 on the scale of loving his neighbor. And in his walk with the Lord and in his community, we're going to look at the question that he posed to Jesus and the answer Jesus gave him. Now this man obviously was a faithful worshiper, and according to Scripture, he was an expert at the law. So let's go over into 
the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So before we continue with Jesus' answer, we're going to look at where this man who was an expert in the law got his position from what the law actually said was his neighbor. And that's over in Leviticus 19, verse 18. And it says this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among, look at this phrase, your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In other words, this man was saying, I really don't have to go out of my way to help anyone besides my people, right, Jesus? Like, I've done everything. I love you, I worship you, and I demonstrate that I'm loyal to my people, my kind of people, the people who think like I do, the people who worship the way I do. And so let's look at what Jesus says just so often with his responses to us. He doesn't give us necessarily a here's the answer, but he tells us a story and says, in that story, you're going to find the answer. You're going to find yourself, you're going to search your heart, and you're going to come to the conclusion of what God's word is requiring of you. So let's go. Luke 10, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want us to think about this. And I know maybe many of us who have been in church a long time have heard this story. But I want us to maybe contemporize the setting and try to put ourselves in the situation as to what exactly this was like. I want you to imagine the worst inner city conditions. This is what I come up with to kind of compare. The worst inner city conditions in the middle of the night. You have to walk like 20 city blocks in the most crime-ridden metropolitan area you can imagine. There's no open stores. There's no gas stations. There's no houses to take refuge in. This is what the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was like. And now imagine being attacked, robbed, brutally beaten, and left for dead. You see, this was commonplace back on that road. It was a road that needed to be traveled, but it was... Uh, every person for themselves. Imagine 
being brutally attacked and being left for dead. And what's worse is the robbers knew that if they attacked someone and left them for dead, if anyone tried to help the person that was attacked, then they would too become a victim. So it was almost became a trap for anyone who would even consider possibly helping. In other words, you would be putting your life at great risk if you stopped to help someone. It's good for us to put ourselves in the shoes of both the victim and the person who's in the potential role of helping here. So I want you also to imagine this, the people who didn't help, those two that passed by, um, they had good reason to do so. They feared for their own life. They feared for their own well-being. But imagine that these people equate to the people that you hold in high esteem for their influence and their accomplishments, your political heroes, your business success gurus, your social media influencers, your pastors, people like myself, church leaders, and even your closest friends. It's hard for us to imagine. It's hard for us to grasp. But these were the kind of people that passed the one who was beaten by. They would have been highly respected, highly influential. They would have had great leadership influence. They held sway, yet they chose not to help. This is the, this is the type of person that was. Now, let's flip the script and turn the tables here. Think of the person that you struggle with the most. Maybe the person that you are tempted to maybe hold in low regard. Maybe, I think we all struggle with kind of a hierarchy of, yeah, where someone is in, in the strata or where they, whether they agree with us or not. The one who is politically, diametrically opposed to you. The person that stands for everything that you don't. That's the person that stopped to help. That should strain the limits of our understanding today. That's the type of person that actually was the helpful person. And that's the type of person that Jesus is asking us to be. It's a challenging thing, isn't it? But God, but with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to note that the Samaritans were considered half-breeds and traitors to the pure Jewish people. Uh, the race came about after the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 BC. And certain people from the nation of Israel stayed behind. So these people intermarried with the Assyrians, producing what became the Samaritans. And the Samaritans had their own temple and their own copy of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and they had their own religious system. So... These were people that were, they're not like us. We don't agree of how they worship. We don't agree with what they do. We don't want to associate with them. And Jesus, don't you know, uses that person to say, what if they would lovingly do that for you? It kind of messes with your head a little bit. And I think what we can see today is Jesus took the law from Leviticus where it was just love your neighbor when it is your people. And he blew that wide open and said, Love your neighbor because your neighbor is all people. Let's look at these two simple truths that I wrote out and uh, rhymed them so that we could remember them easily today. The first is this. Loving our neighbor is easier said than done. You can agree with that. But harder still when we realize our neighbor is everyone. Finally, here's why. Because neighbor love goes far beyond just being nice Loving neighbor involves true sacrifice. 
I want to look at a clip from a movie, um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, where uh, Tom Hanks played Fred Rogers. And in this clip, we're about to see this reporter who's having life issues. He's having a personal crisis. And he gets assigned uh, this piece to do on Fred Rogers. He thinks it's a puff piece. He thinks it's a waste of time, kind of one of those human interest stories. It's not really hard-hitting journalism, in his opinion. He's not thrilled at all about interviewing Fred Rogers. So let's watch how Mr. Rogers responds to this question. And then I want us to talk about maybe what that would look like for us if we were to compare that dialogue with the dialogue that the world might have with us as believers as we consider whether they're our neighbors or not. Let's go ahead and look at that clip. This uh, piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? I don't think of myself as a hero. No, not at all. What about Mr. Rogers? Is he a hero? I, I don't understand the question. Well, there's you, Fred, and then there's the character you play, Mr. Rogers. You said it was a play at the plate. Is that, is that what, is that what happened to you? I'm, I'm here to interview you, Mr. Rogers. Well, that is what we're doing, isn't it? If you haven't seen that film, I would recommend it. I think it will really um, enrich and encourage you about his life, uh, how he consistently went beyond himself to make every person felt known, heard, and to really be someone who brought reconciliation, help, health healing into their lives. Um, I know he was a devout worshiper and follower of Jesus. So now let's think about that dialogue and that exchange and ask some questions about us. Are we as followers of Christ generating enough interest for a reluctant world to want to interview us? He didn't exactly want to interview him, but Mr. Rogers at that time had become a pretty big deal. And if they do want to interview us, if they do want to find out what the deal is with this Christianity, with this kind of love, with us being this kind of neighbor, will they find that we're playing a character, as the reporter assumed, or that we're living an authentic life? That the person that they've heard about and the faith that they've read about is the same as who you represent, the way that we live our lives. And if we consider our exchanges with others, this kind of type of interview, like we're always on interview, if we look at our dialogue with those who aren't Christ followers, does it come across that we're interested in them? Not so much that we can do something for them, not so much that we need to convert them to our faith, but we have a genuine love and interest in everything that matters to them so that ultimately we can minister to them. And does the world know not so much that we care about being viewed as heroic, as successful, as helpful, as influential, as politically powerful or whatever, but that like God, we truly care for them and we're interested in every detail of their lives. I got to be honest with you, I struggle with this. Um, I struggle being a people person as it is because I'm an introvert. And so it is a discipline and it is a help from the Holy Spirit to always bring it back to what is concerning this person and how does God want to meet them where they're at. 
There's no escaping heaven's imperative that it's scripture that we love our neighbor. It's clear from scripture. And this might be a little uh, strong for us to take, but it's a truth. If we fail at loving, we must face the fact that we're also failing at truly knowing God. I'm going to show you a scripture in a second that supports that. If we fail at loving, we have to admit we're failing at knowing God. And if we aren't really knowing God, if we don't have a relationship with him that's based on love, how many of our other assumptions about that God and the pursuits we follow as a result are far from his heart? That really crystallizes it down to the simplicity of the gospel, doesn't it? It's not about all the attractions and the attachments. 1 John 4, 8 says this, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We are um, going to be engaging in a series after this on discipleship, on what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I want to tell you that this is a huge benchmark. This is a huge uh, indicator of whether we're following him. The world will know, will know if we're following him by how we love. So some of us might think, well, maybe he's talking in that context just about Christ followers, or, or maybe that was just to his disciples at the time. But I have a question for you. Did Jesus die only for those who already are following him? Did he lay down his life and demonstrate sacrificial love for just the already churched or the unchurched or the yet-to-be followers of Christ. <clears throat> Let's look at what John 15 verse 12 says about this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Did the Samaritan put his life at risk to reach out? Matthew 5:43. Jesus leaves no wiggle room. If we've, if we've found a loophole at all, this one says there's no room whatsoever. He says, you've heard it that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So I want to review these two simple truths today. This is a, this is a simple and clear message. Is it easy to live? No. But God can help us. Let's look at these truths again. Loving our neighbor is easier said than done, but harder still when we realize our neighbor is everyone. Because neighbor love goes far beyond just being nice. Loving neighbor involves sacrifice. So Jesus said, let's go and do likewise. I have three simple next steps for us to consider today. Um, how, many, how many of you do truly want to grow in the things that God has asked us to? I do. I want to continue on that road to discipleship, that road of maturity in the Lord and sanctification. And it's good for us to revisit and review and say, where do we go from here? So step one, we need to reframe our perspective. Let's reframe our perspective. Let's look at people as worthy of God's love apart from the issues we oppose. 
Let's re-see our neighbors again. My daughter and I started playing this game because one of her good friends' dad drives a Jeep, and it's a bright-colored Jeep. It's a green Jeep. And so she started noticing those other green Jeeps everywhere we went. And then beyond that, now she noticed all the other Jeeps, and she's like, wow, Dad, there's a lot of Jeeps out there. Isn't it interesting when you all of a sudden reframe what you're looking for, you see more of it? What if we reframed our perspective? We started seeing everyone. There's a neighbor. There's a neighbor. There's a neighbor. Not someone who disagrees with me. Not someone who's struggling with their sexual identity. Not someone who, who looks a little rough around the edges. No. There's a neighbor. There's a neighbor. There's someone to love. There's someone to reach. So let's reframe our perspective. See, we can't feel superior to anyone and still move towards them in unconditional love. And George, isn't it interesting? We just had that conversation right before this. I was thinking, wait till George hears my message. We have to strip off every title, every negative connotation, every label and category and see our fellow humanity simply as neighbor. We're all God's creation and we're all loved by God. The second thing, after we reframe our perspective, let's reevaluate our priorities. Let's learn how to push back against darkness while not pushing away people. See, while being vigilant and aware of biblical worldview issues that are impacting our civil liberties and freedoms as Christians in a postmodern world, let's not let our pursuit of righteousness build a barrier against an expression of authentic love for neighbor. If you thought that was a mouthful, the notes are online, and I would always encourage you to get the notes because the way I process things, it's usually better in writing than, than I can say them. So you might want to go back and look through this and, and um, get those notes. Maybe some goals we should set uh, would be to like build bridges back that have been burned. Um, you know, a lot of times when we make known who we're for, we tell someone who doesn't quite know us, that we're against them. You hear in my heart there? So be careful how you blindly make known what you're for until you're able to reach someone so that that's not a barrier. And then after we reframe our perspective and we reevaluate our priorities, let's refresh our commitment today. Let's find repentance and make a place of consecration to the Lord as lovers on assignment. Did you know we're called to be lovers? We're pretty good at fighting. We're pretty good at making our case. We're really educated. We're really well informed. We don't lack information. We lack the ability to love. And we need to go back to the one who can give us that ability to be a lover, to live a spirit-filled life. So let's Refresh our commitment. Let's find repentance and consecration to the Lord as lovers on assignment. What does it look like if we as Christ followers make a fresh commitment to love first, to see the kingdom of his love and live from that place? Keep the prayer pressure on against darkness, but pursue boldly and with wisdom and grace those in need of rescue in a dark world. Listen, can I encourage you with this? Sometimes it's a long game. It's not an instant thing. And someone else I was talking to out there were sharing how it's frustrating because I don't feel like I'm making a difference or I don't feel like they're really being affected by me. You just watch what the Lord does. 
You just let him do what he's going to do. And even if it's a season where you're just sowing love and you don't see a change, trust God. Maybe in the next season of someone else they're exposed to, they'll, they'll suddenly be radically transformed, born again, translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Can we just pray and ask the Lord for help in this before we close today? You don't have to repeat after me, but I'm going to pray a prayer that if we can just agree under heaven, uh, then, then we'll, we'll go out here and, and we'll learn to be lovers and look to um, who our neighbor should be today. So let's do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we don't know how to love like this, but with you, all things are possible. God, we're asking you to empower us to walk the impossible road of agape love towards our neighbor into all the world. Forgive us where we've fallen short. And Lord, we struggle sometimes to love ourselves. We struggle to see the value you've placed in us as your beloved. So help us to feel and know truly that we're loved by you so that we can take that same kind of love into the world and we can love our neighbor as ourselves. And again today, Lord, we refresh the commitment. We choose to confess you as Lord and Savior of our life. We've decided to follow you, to obey your commands, and to live out the great commission to make disciples of Christ in all the world, starting with my world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I got a question. Won't you be my neighbor? I'll be your neighbor.